0: for tuning in to The Greenpeace, that's spelt P-I-E-C-E. I'm Warren Green, your host and one of the storytellers of this weekly podcast, where I'll be telling campfire stories about sustainable safaris, misadventures and travel tales from around the world. I have a number of interesting people, including safari guides, conservationists, lodge managers and philanthropists lined up to share their stories and expertise with you. So grab yourself a beverage, sink back into a comfortable chair and enjoy the next half an hour with me.
1: So we did stick with the route that um, Carl had suggested. We went up the wrong guy route uh, to the Moenzi Tarn huts, then across the saddle to the Kibo huts, and then up to Summit. But um, we started off on the wrong guy side of things. Um, sometimes people do that oppositely. And while, yes, um, I was very adamant at the beginning about not accepting help, I did end up um, needing help out there. Um, you know, there are able-bodied people that need assistance on this mountain. Sure. And, and so a typical crew would be right around 30 porters, and that's about what we had. Um, so it was... Myself, uh, commanders Carl, Sally, and uh, Julius John White, and of course uh, the porters had their own hierarchy, um, and they kind of went ahead of us. Um, I was, I was absolutely blown away because uh, something I was trying to get. A little too fast on our earlier recording was we got up to the first camp and uh we're greeted by song and dance and everybody's genuinely happy you have made it to camp safe that's great and then we go to this little mess tent where we have uh dinner and it's not just mountain house meals. You know, there's a whole chef. There's a, a waiter, Mohamedy and Lord. And they prepared delectable food for us throughout this entire excursion through Visante Tours. And um, that night after going through the rainforest and it was obviously a very hot um, and humid day, uh, I had already acquired some blistering on my knuckles, but nothing too extraordinary. Um, I did have some swelling going on already, but that's because, as I had mentioned, I hadn't wrapped my hands.
0: So how, how do you deal with those blisters? Do you lance them and, and get the fluid out and then clean them up with a Band-Aid? Or do you just wait?
1: I'll get to that. Okay.
0: Okay. <laughs>
1: but uh that evening we're sitting in the mess tent that first night and that same birthday cake that they had at rural rural lodge they brought up the mountain untouched this thing was untouched you could tell it still had been refrigerated somehow um and they brought it into the mess tent and wished me a happy birthday good night um it was a very 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 special moment for me and I was beyond, um, I was just astounded. Uh, I've I've never seen anything like that before, much less, um, how the porters carry these things on their backs, um, on almost the top of their neck. Uh, It it just astounding to me, the, the, the strength that they possess, but I apologize. I did accept help. Um, Sally helped me out with um, lancing the blisters with thread. And so we would take a needle, um, go through the blister with thread, and it would absorb the fluid inside of the blister and then allow it to dry out, and pat down. Mm. And I had in full spots, gold bond powder, which helped out a lot and one of my teammates had in pool spot some kinetic tape, helped out a lot. Um, and so from the second day on, we had decided to wrap my hands, but in places where there were standing water um, for risk of bacterial infections, whatever else, um, or through rock slide areas or um, risk of wildlife uh, such as ant colonies (laughs) Uh, Julius John White uh, commander there that kind of got presided over Asante tours and uh, coordinated directly with commanders Carl and Sally and my team Uh, he was just so strong and he got a mass eye blanket and I had a toe strap. And in these spots, he would pick me up and carry me through. Um, it, It was an astounding accomplishment to be there and to do this on my hands, to get out there to summit but I do not believe that there's any feasible way uh, that excursion would have been successful without the help of Julius John White. Um, you know, he and I developed a very close bond in this time, as I, I guess you would expect when somebody gets strapped onto your back and you have to be uh, very open in communication as to how you're doing and what's going on.
0: Um, so. What, what on the first day from the wrong gate up to the first campsite, mm-hmm. how far, um, was that in terms of the distance and then what sort of altitude did you accomplish on that first day?
1: I actually don't have stats on that. I okay. should, but I don't, it's up to Simba camp and it's just above, um, which you would consider treeline for the rainforest. So I believe believe it was about five miles. Okay. And I did all of that up until it got uh, very dark and there was a spot in the rainforest where I had to be carried through some ants because I was getting attacked. I was looking up really excited about the colobus monkeys and failed to recognize that I was being swarmed.
0: (laughs) <laughs> and these are those inch-long black matabili ants.
1: Uh I I have a fear of ants now. Um, <laughs> you know, going, for, yeah, yeah.
0: Fear well, ants. That would have been great preparation for Colombia and the fire ant, right? I,
1: yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh I will definitely take the black ants over the fire ant any day, but. Uh, <laughs> answer my adversary and we weren't exactly sure how my body would react to their bites either which can always be and you know in a weird case a serious scenario where somebody needs taken off the mountain so
0: well those those ants in in central and eastern africa march along in major lines. There's three or four or five of them alongside each other and they just go in one direction. They literally leave a trail behind them. You can see where they've been and you can hear them as well. I, I get it. You've got to step over them. If you step on them, they're up your leg in no time.
1: Yeah. If yeah. you've got legs. Otherwise they're, you know, on yeah. your torso and on your neck and
0: uh, everywhere else that um, you
1: don't want them, like yeah. your hair. <laughs>
0: Okay, so then let's get on. So, oh, yeah, the colobus monkeys. Um, so, they're, they're confined to that to the eastern part of Africa, and they really are gorgeous. Big black they're, monkeys with white cool. chests and beards. Yeah.
1: Beautiful. I don't believe I'd ever seen a colobus monkey in the zoo before. Uh, and so, this was the first time I'd ever seen one in person um, and in the wild, no less. It, it was incredible. They were very, uh, interested in what we were doing, but also, you know, uh, gave us a leeway. So, um, couldn't linger there for too long and bother them, but I definitely, uh, had to sit there for a minute and just stare. <laughs> How
0: cool I, was, is
1: that, I was over the moon.
0: Yeah. And I suppose yeah. with a party of about 30 people, Um, the chances of seeing any of those shy and secretive antelope that you get in the rainforest were pretty small. Uh, Did you get to see any of the other mammals, or were they too fast for you?
1: Um, Too fast, that, or, you know, I'm at a different vantage point. Yeah. And so, whereas other members of the group might have seen something, I'm at a little advantage here where (laughs) I have a different perspective. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) um so no there wasn't too much wildlife um, on this journey of kilimanjaro we went through the uh, heathland moor grass what what is why do i always mess this up what is that what? hold on just a second because i've done this three times now Heather Moreland zone. Okay. Ah, okay. <laughs> so the uh, second day we were ascending more in elevation and going through the Heather moorland zone where I was, um, I got to see the Kilimanjaro flower. And um, for me, I'm really glad that I got into plants before I went over there. Because a lot of this stuff I could identify, but uh, it gave me a different appreciation for just the variety uh, of scents. Even going through the rainforest, there were olive trees. Mm. And uh, I I never encountered a scent that was that aromatic. Um, And getting to appreciate the variety of color in the botany around was also really, really uh, incredible. (laughs) But the Kilimanjaro flower is the Tanzanian state flower as well. Or at least that's what I was told.
0: (laughs) Well, I I hope you're right. I'm I'm being ignorant here. I actually don't know what the Tanzanian state flower is, but now I do. So I'm going to take your word for it. Okay. So you've, you've now started to assault the mountain. And I I, I guess we can't really pick up, pick apart every, every stride that you make. So how long does it take you to get to the top? And are there moments along the way where, um, well, what I'm wanting to hear is what are the highlights of the way up? And were there moments where you actually wish you'd never got on that plane from the outset? Um, What were the highs and what were the lows?
1: Oh my gosh. So the first day, incredible high. Um, So much so that I made mistakes, such as not wrapping my hands, um, and from not having my bags in advance, some of my stuff was disorganized. And whenever you don't have hands that work, that becomes a little difficult and um, time-consuming to uh, reorganize your bags in the middle of the climb. So, uh, the second day. I knew, I knew I was in trouble the first night. Let me put it to you that way. Um, I had pushed myself so hard because I was so excited that I hadn't actually listened to my body. I hadn't yet regulated my breathing and gotten in a consistent um, pace. And so that night after mess and everything on the very first night. Um, I crawled from camp back around to the guard shacks uh, to get some time by myself. And I was sitting on the edge of the guard shack and um, enjoying the view of the stars, but I I just cried and cried because I was like, this, this is going to be intense. Um, And I'm I'm sitting there in the dark and I'm crying. That's when one of the rangers came out, uh, didn't know I was there, starts um, taking a wee. And I was like, just so you know, I'm here. (laughs) And uh, they were very concerned. And I just let them know that I was just trying to get some time uh, away from everything by myself. And that I felt safe on the side of the guard shack and they were like, yeah, that's, that's fine. Just let us know if you need, you know, somebody to take you back over there, whatever else. Um, Very, very nice officers there. Um, And uh, I went back to camp and went to bed, but the next day I um, got my hands wrapped and everything there before we took off from Simba camp. And I let them know that like, I had, I pushed it a little bit too much the day prior and I was going to need to slow down. And so I slowed down a bit on the second day and my hands took a lot of damage. Um, the second day was a lot of crawling. Um, I remember at one point, uh, <laughs> I had Winston the porter that would carry my day pack for me. I had him set down my bag on the second day and I was just like, I am out of energy. I need to eat. And like it was getting ready to get into my star kissed tuna pack or something like that. When the porters who had went up ahead and set up our camp had went up ahead, set up our camp and made us lunch and brought it back down the trail. And so it was just like, watching these angels with five-gallon buckets come around the corner. Um, and that was the first meal in my life that I had ever had mango and absolutely loved it. Oh. Loved it. I I don't like fruit normally, and mango is one of those that I don't normally tolerate. But Chef Avode had made a, a salad that was it became my favorite they they made it on summit day for us too but um, that second night getting into camp was very rough uh it had started to get dark before we had reached the last little ridge and so um, whitey asked if he could carry me in i was in a lot of pain my uh my hands were pretty tore up and um Carl and Sally helped me get my hands cleaned up and my body cleaned up because I just, I mean, they were barely operating very well. And um, we had a debacle there in the mess tent that night. And um, my lead director kind of put me on blast because there was uh, an option to Go to a different base camp and then shoot up to summit and um shorten the excursion or there was the option to continue on to um, the moindsey tarn hut camp um which was several several kilometers longer and um I, um, I'm not one to generally accept help, but I'm also definitely not one to take the easy way out
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, You know, we were out there for a purpose and a mission, and um, so i I had kind of voiced that I would like to stick to the original plan and that. Um, I would be more accepting of help. Um, I just don't think that going the shorter route would have been feasible for my group. I live at 6,000 feet in elevation here in Colorado Springs. And so I already have an advantage as far as acclimatization is concerned. Um, I never had an issue up at 14,000 feet Um, and my oxygen stays right at 98 percent the whole way through um i believe that's due to different circulation now that i don't have limbs but i don't have issues with elevation that was not the same for my members of my team who were out in la xyz and so i knew that longer kilometers means longer time to acclimatize
0: which is better right
1: Uh, yes yeah um it may not be you know ideal but i think that going out there with no legs to begin with was quite an ideal (laughs) so um you know i i I voiced that I wanted to keep it the same and that we would just have to work very closely together and be open in communication as to how we were doing and what we needed.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, um, Carl and Sally, they believed in me and they, uh, trusted the bond that Whitey and I had been developing on this excursion, and so we decided to go the longer route uh, to the Tarn Hut camp. And uh, it was very long, but I got to see some extraordinary parts of the mountain scape out there. Um, and I had help, and I really desperately needed it. Um, my hands took um, a massive beating out there and so it kind of became a rule like anytime there's like really loose rock or again wildlife standing water just no arguing just get up on the back and do it and um Yeah, you know, that third day um, was kind of low for me because I had to let go of my ego Mm
0: -hmm.
1: (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. and realize that this is, in fact, like I've been saying since the beginning, so much bigger than I am. you know, able-bodied people need help on this mountain. There are stretchers lining the trail up to Gilman's Point. And, um, it's very scary watching members of your team go down in elevation sickness. Um, And, I would say that 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 third day, having my pride a little hurt, that I was gonna have to accept some help from people that I didn't know, um, and then summit day, um, something that's supposed to be an incredible high. And don't get me wrong, it was incredible to to be there and to get there, um, but it was also Very desolate, very harsh, the climate up there. Um, Hey. Hey. Sorry. The climate up there is unforgiving and very, Hmm. very, very cold. Um, you know, as we were going past Stella Point on towards the sign, I feel like everybody kind of broke down at the same time. <laughs> um, you know, Commander Carl was having issues with another member of the team. Uh, he was upset about something. Um. I found out that ice picks that were essential for me going over the glaciers or what I thought was essential uh, were all the way in the very back of the line with another teammate who was desperately struggling to get up this mountain, um, severe elevation sickness, um, and Sally was with him. And so it was just intense. And and then at the same time, you have less oxygen to actually comprehend Mm -hmm. what's going on. And and so (laughs) I don't even know how to explain it. Um, We all got up there. Uh, It was a miracle. And without every member of the team playing an essential role in connection to another, uh, none of us would have been successful. And the expertise that Carl and Sally showed out there was parallel to none. Um, I'm, I'm very glad that they were um, the guides for this expedition.
0: I'm pleased to hear that, (laughs) very pleased to hear that.
1: You know, they're they're very different, but uh, Carl and I have a lot in common. And uh, I feel like if there was any personality conflict whatsoever, it was just that we were so, so alike. (laughs) And Sally was so helpful and, uh, nurturing and caring through this entire thing. And then for them to pair me with Whitey, Julius John White, um, I don't, I don't think that there could have been a better team for that. Um, you know, yeah,
0: fantastic.
1: It, it was an accomplishment for me on the basis of something extremely difficult that i no one's ever really attempted before and then as a female but um, as far as um, an emotional or like a personal growth standpoint as well it was um, enlightening in all aspects i would say
0: But you, I mean, yeah, I'm sure it must have been, you've come over all sorts of adversity leading up to Kilimanjaro. So where does summiting Kilimanjaro and those conditions rank on the, I don't want to say the degrees of difficulty because it's a physical uh, challenge, but mentally along with everything else you've done, is it, is it, is it something that's right up there?
1: It is definitely one of the most hard, um, one of the hardest things I've ever done mentally, emotionally, uh, <laughs> you know, every way possible. Um, I'd, I'd never even seen that much money go through my bank account. And, and so I'm not kidding. People <laughs> think I'm rich and, and I'm not. And, uh, I was just all of it, all of it was just I didn't, I didn't understand what, what people meant by a culture shock. <laughs> mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I do know, but beyond that, um, I, I guess going in this and knowing that, uh um, expectation is gonna be the birth of disappointment. And then having my expectations thoroughly exceeded on um, the importance this would become in my life, um, even bigger than being there, um, taking those lessons and the new friendships that I have on into the life that I live now is um, intrinsically valuable.
0: Oh, Fantastic. Lovely words. Lovely words. So you get to the top of the mountain and now you've got to go down. Bruised and battered ego restored by the fact that you're on top of, on top of Africa. And it's basically I suppose the summit is everything at this point and you've done it. And so what's that feeling like when you've got to turn your back on the top of the mountain and point yourself downhill?
1: Um, so on the second day, Sally uh, was sitting next to me in the mess tent. And this is one of those low points that I was talking about. But she looked at me and she goes, I'll let you push your little way up there. But Whitey is going to carry you down. Um, And that was very matter-of-fact, and she's lead commander alongside Carl, and so what she says goes. And so Whitey (coughs) had me on his back um, on the way down, and I would say that it didn't really hit me until the second day when we were going to Harambo huts down from Kibo. But I think I balled most of that uh, span of time. Just um, Whitey helped me really close in the Maasai blanket and uh, just looking over my shoulder at the mountain that we just conquered together it was very, very emotional, but also uh, very relieving for me because I've been saying that I was going to do this since 2018 and now it's literally in what would be the rear view. Yeah. Um, And all of the obstacles, that had to be overcome in order just to get there. uh, It it was put into perspective for me. Um, I got the privilege to meet some little girls in the Serengeti immediately after going to climb Kilimanjaro and I got to tell them my story. And I just opened up a little package the other day Um, in a letter from little Raphael over in Kenya but I met this little girl in the Serengeti and uh, she took the time to draw me a couple pictures and put into words what she thought um, and how I had inspired her Hmm. and uh, It's just an alignment of perspective that uh, makes everything worth it, you know, Um, all of the blisters um, and bloody knuckles and uh, tears and little internal arguments or external arguments and... uh, obstacles along the way will have been worth it if I can just um, touch a couple
0: people, you know. Well, sounds like you you certainly did on the journey and I, I, I'm i assuming that through the production of your documentary, you're going to touch a lot, lot more people. Do you have young Raphael's letter close at hand and can you read us what she said if you do?
1: I can go grab it, yes. Yeah. <laughs> got it on my fridge
0: oh, cool. until, <laughs>
1: until i have to take everything down <laughs> look at this artwork
0: though <laughs> oh that's classic oh Your my gloves, God. red balaclava cool uh,
1: no legs I'll what
0: you beanie it's
1: adorable yep. <laughs> uh it says dear mandy first my name is Raphael." The nine-year-old girl you met at the Serengeti, then you met again at the Giraffe Eco Lodge. Hmm. I personally think you are awesome, brave, Climb killy even though you have no legs. I've always wanted to, but have to keep on waiting until I am 12. You've inspired me to never stop believing and to follow my dreams. And don't stop even if people think you are crazy and you can do the most unimaginable things in life. I know you are going to be great. And then she, (laughs)
0: look
1: at this elephant, though.
0: That's adorable. (laughs) Wow. Amazing words for a young nine-year-old. That's incredible. Hey? Sure. She
1: was uh, incredible to meet uh just from the first ten, meet, ten, 10 minutes or so of talking to her, she's um, very observant, mm. very observant and uh, very intelligent. And so it was a pleasure getting to meet Raphael, Juna, and uh, Brendan over in the Serengeti, as well as uh, Susanna and her family.
0: So what were they they up to in the Serengeti that you stumbled upon them?
1: Um, They were on their own safaris, Ah. I believe. Um, Brendan and um, Raphael and Juna, they were camping near us in the Serengeti uh, for the first couple days. And then they went on to the giraffe eco lodge where we ended up going. Um, and so we'd ran into them again, but, um, Susanna and her family were out there on the Serengeti a couple days before us. Um, she had had an issue with one of her family members. I believe it was her actually, uh, testing positive for COVID randomly. Um, and so uh it was a privilege to meet all of them.
0: So they were they were tourists, they were on safari essentially. They weren't local Tanzanians yeah. who you ran into. Okay, understood. understood. Uh,
1: no, uh they were from Rwanda, I want to oh. say.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, Brendan and his family are from Kenya or Somaliland.
0: Mm-hmm. Northern so. Kenya, yeah. yeah.
1: That was really cool. Um going out to the Serengeti was incredible. Um I wasn't sure how that would be logistically. Yeah.
0: Uh,
1: given how much damage I had done to my hands and um you know, back to those African massages they call them.
0: <laughs> the game drive vehicles. <laughs> you can bounce around, can't you?
1: Oh yeah. I, I wasn't sure uh, how that would go, but I'm incredibly grateful that uh, we decided to do that. Um, getting to see the wildlife out there, and yeah. there's yeah. there's not a word for it. <laughs>
0: It's sensational. It's absolutely sensational. I'm busy planning a trip to take some friends of mine over. we we probably going to go over in 2023. Uh, we won't climb Kilimanjaro, but we will go and just check out those wild spaces and catch the the wildebeest in the southern part of the Serengeti when they start to drop their young. Did you get to see the big herds, or was it too late for you?
1: No. Um, actually, I think that we were just short of, missing the river crossings um and, and so we did get to see the big herds of the wildebeest and uh, zebra and even the elephants um one of our lunch days carl just parks out by this tree in the middle of nowhere but there's this whole herd of elephants um heading on to uh the i believe the south part of the serengeti but um we also, you know, uh, were privileged enough to come up on a cheetah. We did get to see a leopard. And so the only oh. animal we didn't get to, uh, a sighting of was the rhino. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's because we didn't go to Ngoro Goro Crater. We went around the outside edge of Ngoro Goro Crater through Maasai territory. Yeah um on our drive back to arusha which I'm also glad that we did because getting to see um the Maasai is interesting
0: colorful uh, people hey!
1: very colorful um I think that they're underestimated you know
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, in, in what I, respect do you think they're underestimated that's a curious comment
1: ah. Uh, well, I guess my experience of the mass size, they're definitely business people.
0: Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and
1: and uh, that was uh, quite interesting. Because it's not like they're unhappy business people either. They're just good at uh, negotiating.
0: Mhm.
1: <sighs> Which I thought was interesting. Um, we stopped in one Maasai village and were picking up some water and cokes, and they wouldn't sell us the ones in the glass bottles. <laughs> huh. And we couldn't figure out why. But um, yeah. Carl told us it's because the bottles actually bring the money back.
0: We get the deposit back on the bottle. Yeah, that's an old. Yeah, that's how we used to do it as kids. That's me. I remember as growing up in the Cape, um, we'd scrounge around and find glass bottles and take them to the local cafe and you'd get one, two, three, maybe five cents back, depending on the size of the bottle. Yeah. So you
1: could, you could it's the a, same with milk bottles in Missouri.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know they still had milk bottles out that way.
1: Um, yeah. Smaller farm, but chateau milk is always my favorite. Huh. <laughs>
0: I'd say, so, yeah, you got to see the, the wildlife of East Africa, which is, I suppose you just had a little short sampling of it. Do what? You had a short sampling of it. You weren't in the Serengeti for too long, were you?
1: No, uh, I believe we were there for five days. Okay. Um that are four and a half. I would say it was probably four and a half. Yeah. But um just going out the first night, I mean, we sighted um, a pack of uh, female lionesses. And um, I, I kind of got in trouble out on the Serengeti. <laughs> um, you
0: have to explain that.
1: Well, it, it was very well known before I went out to Tanzania that I'm a night owl like I, I have issues with sleep and so I would be up in their normal day hours over here and Carl would be like go to sleep <laughs> but um on the excursion and on the climb, there were several nights where I was the last person awake um, just as it it's a general thing for me and um, it was no different in the Serengeti but, camped in the middle of a literal real-time jurassic park it's a good idea to go in your tent and actually zip it up and go to bed like Mm -hmm. they say Mm -hmm. um (laughs) i was uh sitting with my tent unzipped um taking pictures because I discovered my phone has an incredible night viewscape. And I noticed there was a lot of sound coming from our kitchen area, which was over to the left of the camp. And as I was taking photos, I managed to get this really great photo of this massive hyena in front of our kitchen. And it was a couple seconds after I took that photo that to the right, Alex, one of our team members in the safari, jumps out of his tent with his flashlight and illuminates a hyena that's like 10 feet away from me, crouched and coming towards my tent.
0: <laughs> <Shit>. <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh so I, I learned a very valuable lesson that um they're not kidding whenever they say that hyenas and lions go through the camp the next night the lions went right past the vehicles um really really intense to sit up and listen to those sounds though
0: it's thrilling isn't it?
1: it it really is it's so hard not to get curious and and just um continue taking photos but the night uh Previous to this um, hyena incident, I was sitting outside of my tent and I captured a a serval
0: on camera. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, wow.
1: And so I thought I was uh, ready to become a real bush photographer or something like that and uh, almost got eaten by a hyena. Pause
0: on that one, yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, let's not...
0: Look, aside from your night owl habits, um, isn't that sub- that sky just the most beautiful? I, I know you're an outdoors person and have appreciated the North American sky, but somehow once you're over the equator, it just, it's all so different.
1: It, it was incredibly different, and uh, that's part of the reason why I stayed up. Mm. Uh, I, I discovered that my phone also took really lovely starscapes, um the sky is so much different over there um it's it's almost clear Mm -hmm. i've never seen stars like that before Mm -hmm. in my entire life um you know it's not just light pollution it's just it's it's a different sky different constellations um getting to see the southern cross was incredible um after it being pointed out to me, I would look to it um, throughout the entire trek um, of Mount Kilimanjaro and in Serengeti and uh, it became very special to me.
0: Good. Yeah, I'm afraid that Africa um, is something like a drug. And once you get a little bit of it in your veins, you have to go back for more. So. Uh, I, in a way, feel sorry for you because it's an expensive continent to have to visit. But in a way, I'm very pleased because while Tanzania is gorgeous and it's got so many different attractions that need to be explored, you've got Kenya, you've got Rwanda, Uganda, Zambia, Mozambique. I mean, there's so many other really beautiful countries, maybe not all with great big mountains like Kilimanjaro, but geography and landscape and wildlife and culture um, that are similar but are different. Um, so, I think you've just sort of catapulted yourself on a trajectory that that will land you up in Africa many more times in the future.
1: I, you know, I hope so. I made some connections over there in Kenya and Rwanda, and uh, I'm hopeful to go back and, and see more of the country and more of the wildlife and more of the people. Yeah, cool. Uh, I, I really enjoyed getting to witness and be immersed in the culture out
0: there yeah very cool well Mandy listen I've thoroughly enjoyed our, our quick catch up I'm time is not on my side we're already going on to nearly 2 30 which is amazing uh, it's been a fascinating story when are you well your your uh, documentary what can we look out for is is there a title in the wings how is that all going to go and get put together
1: um so right now, They are expecting the forthcoming documentary titled Climb" to be released next summer. Um, Right now it's in post-production. We're unsure of what distributor will buy the license or where it will be available to view at this moment. But after, after those steps are completed um i'll definitely be making some announcements along with um i'm sure the documentaries press team so
0: fantastic have you had have you been able to have a sneak peek at any of the footage that they've got or is that still very much not available to you
1: um so i i do have some clips i i still have some exclusive footage that's never been seen to use for press so if you wanted a couple clips I can definitely put you in an email um, I have to ask for permission to use these clips <clears throat> but um, yeah if you would like a couple of those clips I could put you in an email for permission
0: yeah I mean that would be fantastic uh, I'm just curious I, I also you know my my podcasts are pretty much uh, audio rather than um, streamed on on youtube and such but with this footage i might be able to do something it'd be nice to promote this discussion using a, a part of a clip but i don't know how to do that yet i'll figure it out so yeah that'd be cool if you don't mind sharing with me i'll be glad to stick it in a file and try and figure out well look at it first and then see how i can use it thank you okay cool yeah. i can do that so
1: yeah they're kind of uh they want to work on their side of the project and there's so many dialogues and stories and uh, different ways that they can make this something worthwhile. So I'm hopeful and uh, we'll see.
0: Yeah. Well, I look forward to seeing that. Thanks. Eh? Thanks thanks for being with me today. I was really, I've really enjoyed our conversation. Oh, and I'm, I, I was delighted to hear that one of my really good friends um gave you a little bit of sponsorship cash to get you over to Kilmans. Yes, the
1: Kilimanjaro. Yeah, yes. Alex.
0: Yeah, yeah. She's a really warm-hearted, wonderful woman. and I, I heard yeah. that
1: you were coming out to Colorado. And-
0: I did. I passed through. I saw her. Yeah. You were already on your way. Um, I got in some sales meetings through Denver and Boulder and then joined a couple of mates. We went off and, and experienced the Bluegrass Festival down in Telluride, which... Two firsts for me, tell you right, and a bluegrass festival, which I thoroughly enjoyed. I mean, I've always enjoyed bluegrass music. Um, but sometimes when you you listen to it on a continuous basis, it kind of merges and becomes one. But My yet, cousin
1: was at that festival.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. I would hate to say describe him or her because <laughs> I saw so many people. Very well yeah. managed. It was brilliantly managed. Um well.
1: I am yeah. glad that you got out to the state. It is beautiful here, even though oh. it's expensive.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was expensive, and hiring a car wasn't cheap either. But we had a we had a wonderful time. The weather played its part. Uh, caught up with a client of mine in Buena Vista. They they're um, river rafting couple, and so our business meeting was spent paddling down the Arkansas River through the Browns Canyon. And that's I, amazing. Really gorgeous, lovely time. And then I got to do a bit of hiking in and around Telluride. Went up to see Mount Sniffles or Sniffles, um, mm-hmm. which for me was was an adventure. Uh, I only managed 13,500 feet and that was due pr- primarily to time. We wanted to get off the mountain. There was a storm coming in that afternoon. So I didn't want to be caught three quarters of the way up or halfway down yeah. when a storm blew in. So we enjoyed those upper blue lakes and looked at people going up the scree slope to the summit and wished I was there, but didn't do it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad you got out here and got some good hiking and it is pretty.
0: Yeah, it was great. It's great. Okay, Mandy. Well, listen, thanks. I'm going to probably touch base with you again sometime to hear about your Colombian experience. Um, okay. that's That fascinates me and sounds quite intriguing. I want to learn some more.
1: Oh, yeah. It was interesting all in itself so (laughs) cool
0: cool stay well yeah good luck with the apartment hunt i hope you come right
1: yeah me Mm. too thank you
0: okay then all right see you bye